Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. At the nationwide level, the number of Americans quitting their job is higher than ever. Do the data tell you why? We can see what sectors people are quitting, retail sectors and hospitality sectors, it may not just be worth it for some folks. And so in some cases, people are quitting and they're not yet returning. They're taking a break. Americans are burnt out. So what is the U.S. workforce likely to look like in the near future? That's our story tonight. I'm here because I thought I want to be a part of a better world for our children and our grandchildren. Yeah. I can't save the whole world, but I can do my part. What would happen if you put Americans from opposite sides of the political spectrum across from one another and asked them to talk? Have a look at something called One Small Step. People feel misunderstood and judged. You know, nobody has ever, in the history of humanity, nobody's ever changed their mind because uh, by being called an idiot or a moron or a snowflake. If it's not the least glamorous job in the NFL, it may be the most stressful. We speak of the kicker. They are not the biggest or best athletes on the football field, but they score about a third of all points. So with the NFL playoffs on our doorstep, we thought it would be interesting to get inside the quirky minds of the guys who boot the ball end over end with time running out up and over the bar. If you're not feeling just like a little something, like, you know, are you even really living? I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Nora O'Donnell. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories and more tonight on 60 Minutes. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. 
Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We've all seen signs in front of shops, restaurants, and factories. We're hiring. Help wanted. And now the Omicron variant is taking a toll on the already depleted workforce. We've wondered how there can be so many open jobs when nearly every employer seems to be offering better pay, benefits, and even signing bonuses. The government's jobs report released this past week tells us what has happened. Well over 20 million people quit their jobs in the second half of 2021. Some are calling it the big quit, Others, the great resignation. But who can explain why this is happening? Bill Whitaker reports he found the best place to look for real-time answers is the huge online job site LinkedIn, which calls itself the world's largest professional network. People have been living to work for a very long time, and I think the pandemic brought that moment of reflection for everyone. Mm. What do I want to do? What makes my heart sing? And people are thinking, if not now, then when? Karen Kimbrough is LinkedIn's chief economist. She has degrees from Stanford and Harvard and a PhD from Oxford, used to work for the Federal Reserve, and now has a bird's eye view of the U.S. labor market. We have this unique view of the data. We can see across millions of members and what they share with us. And we can see from employers, millions of them that are posting jobs on our platform. There is one person hired every 15 seconds right now on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn's data on who is leaving jobs is most compelling. Millions of baby boomers retiring early, but also millions of Gen Z workers, people in their teens and early 20s, many more women than men. In all, the highest quit rate since the government started keeping track two decades ago. At the nationwide level, the number of Americans quitting their job is higher than ever. Higher than ever. Higher than ever. Do the data tell you why? We can see what sectors people are quitting. Retail sectors and hospitality sectors. It may not just be worth it. For some folks. And so in some cases, people are quitting and they're not yet returning. They're taking a break. Americans are burnt out. I like to think of it as it's a take this job and shove it measure. It's just a sign of people saying, you know, I don't need this. I'm out. I'm out. The most recent data show people quitting jobs across the board. 4.4% of all positions in education are open. Over 6% in retail. And more than 8% in health care. Open jobs in hotels and restaurants are nearly 9%.
That's almost a million and a half vacant positions. We do have openings, and we do need more employees. Carl Sobosinski owns several restaurants in Greenville, South Carolina. He needs workers both in the kitchen and out front waiting tables. What's the biggest challenge in attracting them and keeping the employees? It's a problem that they're just not out there. Where we are, we just don't have the workers out there looking for the jobs. Construction is another sector without enough workers. At last count, there were nearly 350,000 open construction jobs nationwide. You're finding it more difficult to find people right now. Absolutely. Across the board. Across the board. James Jordan owns a fast-growing construction company in Greenville. We doubled our revenue year over year. We don't have a work problem at all. Now it's just a matter of finding uh, the individuals to be able to do form the work. So it's not a work problem, it's a worker problem. It's a worker problem. We came to Greenville, South Carolina, after seeing it on a LinkedIn data map showing trends of geographic migration, lots of workers leaving big cities like San Francisco and Chicago, and lots of workers moving to places like Austin and Miami and Greenville. That's another big sign of this job market. People are moving. A lot of people are just opting because of affordable housing costs to choose more affordable places. Hmm. Smaller cities, they give you more space, will feel safer. Um, and people are willing to try something new. For what you'd pay to rent an apartment in San Francisco, you can buy a nice house in Greenville. It has attracted big employers like BMW and Michelin, but also tries to nurture small businesses and startups. Still, you see all the same help-wanted signs on Greenville's main street as you would in any big city. Many people believe that generous government stimulus and unemployment benefits are really what's keeping so many workers on the sidelines, no matter where they live. The quick answer, people say, is we're still providing too many benefits and too many people can sit at home and, and get a check. I personally disagree with that. Our associates that didn't come back, they're not sitting at home. They found other careers, other opportunities that fit their lifestyle better. What we saw was that when these benefits were turned off, when workers were no longer getting the benefits, they did not rush back to work. Hmm. What does that tell you? That tells me that it's not just a function of the benefits. That's not the only thing that's going on in the heads of workers when they make that calculus about, should I go back, will I go back, and f for what job? So is all of this producing a, a fundamental shift in the balance of power between employers and employees? It's as if that social contract of work is being rewritten, and right now mm. the worker is holding the pen. There are just thousands upon thousands of available jobs in America right now, mm. and companies are eager to hire. But workers are being very choosy. So employees are kind of in the driver's seat. Employees are in the driver's seat right now. Workers want better pay and benefits, of course, but they're also demanding autonomy and flexibility, particularly in their work schedules. And employers, large and small, simply have to respond. I think flexibility is critical. 
This is the employee's demand. The employees, they want flexibility. And if you're an employer that won't, um, that won't work with your employees to, to be flexible with them, then you're going to be you're missing out. I mean, you have hmm. to. So is it the case that gone are the days where an employer would say, you're just lucky to have this job? I, I think so. I think so. And I think it's for the better. James Jordan's construction company will pay an employee's tuition if they want to continue their education. Perfect timing. Come on in. And their moving expenses if they relocate. And like so many employers, he's offering signing bonuses and flexible hours to new hires. I understand there was one young man, one young recruit that you called every day for two months. I did. <laughs> you really wanted this young man. I did. Huh? I did. Did you finally get him? I finally got him. He started last week, Monday. <laughs> what a stunning turnaround from the spring of 2020, when the pandemic essentially shut the economy down. We had never seen anything like it when you lose 22 million jobs in just two months. And it's unthinkable. Kimbrough remembers that working mothers were and still are among those hardest hit as the pandemic robbed them of many of their childcare options. What we're seeing now is actually a really great story of resilience because we're seeing more and more women come back into the workforce. We're still missing a few million women, by the way, in the workforce. We're not fully there. Still, still missing a few million women. Um, but we're seeing them come back. And predominantly the women that we're missing are parents of young children. They were hit the hardest. I just decided to leave. I had nowhere to go. I had no hopes for employment. Luckily, my husband was gainfully employed, and I was able to do that. But I just walked away. Melissa Williams walked away from a marketing job in Greenville in early 2021. When the pandemic hit, she was balancing marriage, motherhood, and her career. You know you're part of a trend. Yes. There's like a fundamental the great shift. resignation. <laughs> People who are saying and doing what you did, I, I, I can do better than this. This isn't, this isn't fun. This isn't me. Like you said, I hit a wall and I was done. Was that difficult? I mean, it was. It was very scary because I have, I've been employed since I was 17 years old. I remember going home after I put in my resignation, and and I just sat there on the couch and I was like, what did I just do? I just quit my job. I have no job to go to. We have bills. We have a child. We have responsibilities. And my husband was like do you want to go for a walk? It's like, I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> so we went for a walk. <laughs> it is challenging to go say, I'm going to go out on my own in general. It really does take some work, but people want to have control. Kenzie Biggins moved to Greenville in 2017, a few years after she founded WorksBee which pairs remote assistance with executives and companies that need administrative help. You find executive assistants mm -hmm. all over the country, mm -hmm. and you team them up with executives and companies also all over the country. Yes. So one can be in Greenville and an executive can be in Chicago. Yeah, it's all about the best pairing for you. Kenzie had the idea for Worksby years before the pandemic made such arrangements common. You were ahead of the curve, mm -hmm. and then the curve caught up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me just say this. I got a lot of crazy looks for a very long time, you know, walking into places and saying, you should have a virtual executive assistant. People looked at me like I had five heads. They were like, what? Pandemic hits, and all of a sudden, you're a genius. We went from closing three to four people a month 
to closing 10 to 18 people per month, which is quite the jump Mm -hmm. (laughs) in trying to get people paired and bring in new EAs. Americans have really taken a liking to remote work. They're two and a half times as likely to apply to a job that's remote versus a job that's not remote. How's that different from pre-pandemic? So pre-pandemic, I think one in every 67 jobs was a remote job. And now? And now it's one in seven. One in seven. One in seven jobs is remote now. That's a huge huge, shift. Huge, huge rise in remote. And I think what it is is that companies have realized that if they want to attract candidates, they kind of need to meet them where they are now. Worksby found me at the most opportune time. Two months after quitting her office job, Melissa started with Worksby. The churn rate is finally showing in Stripe, so hallelujah. She's now an executive assistant for three organizations. You're working for three different bosses Mm -hmm. from home, Mm -hmm. all virtually. Yes. It sounds like you could be just as busy as you were before. I am. I am just as busy. The difference is it's my choice. Now you have a fourth job? I do. I do. I am also an English instructor at Greenville Technical College. Worksby and the ability to design your Mm -hmm. work life, does that make it possible for you to now enjoy what seems to be your passion? Absolutely. To teach English? Absolutely. If it had not been for Worksby, I would have never been able to even give this a shot. The pendulum of power may soon swing back toward employers especially as workers who've quit their jobs deplete their savings. But Karen Kimbrough expects employees to cling to the flexibility they've fought for. I think actually that this trend towards having more flexibility could be permanent. I honestly can say I don't see myself going back to an office ever. And that ever. Honestly, there is no office that could offer me what I have in my house. It's not possible. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This past Thursday marked the first anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol, when an angry mob tried and failed to stop Congress from certifying the 2020 presidential election. The insurrection's only success was to further polarize a country already divided. Tonight, we'll introduce you to someone attempting to bridge that divide. Dave Isay has created a program called One Small Step to get Americans from across the political spectrum to stop demonizing one another and start communicating face-to-face, one conversation at a time. 
One small step grew out of StoryCorps, the oral history project Dave Isay founded 18 years ago. It has taped more than half a million Americans telling their stories to become the largest single collection of human voices ever recorded, with one aim at its core. What if we just give the entire country the chance to be listened to and have a chance to talk about, you know, who they are? Do you think part of the problem we're having in America is that people are so angry because they don't feel like anybody's listening to them? Yeah, I think people feel people feel misunderstood and judged and heard. You know, nobody has ever in the in the history of humanity, no, nobody's ever changed their mind because uh, by being called an idiot or a moron or a snowflake. But you know, many minds have been changed by being listened to, by conversation, being told that they're loved. Something that we would all consider maybe so simple is so powerful. Yeah, being told that all of our stories matter equally and infinitely mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, is is something everyone needs to hear. Dave Isay seems to always be listening, always taking notes, even during our interview. He told us journalism should be a public service and now hopes that one small step can help end what he calls the culture of contempt that is tearing apart the country. The situation is so bad that, you know, if, if the culture of contempt wins, um, things are just not going to end well for the United States. What's fueling the culture of contempt? It's media, it's social media. I mean, there's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar hate industrial complex where people, um, you know, can make money by making us hate and fear each other. It's a little bit of a David and Goliath fight here. Long before he started StoryCorps in one small step, Dave Isay fought to tell stories of the forgotten by making radio documentaries in flop houses, coal mines, and public housing projects. I need you guys from here on in to be like really on top of stuff. He first appeared on 60 Minutes nearly 25 years ago in a story with Leslie Stahl about two teenagers from Chicago who made their own documentary with his help. The pair won a Peabody Award, one of the highest honors in broadcasting. Thank you. In 2003, he got the idea for StoryCorps. Everybody, my family, everybody thought it was absolutely insane. You know, we started, we started with a booth in Grand Central Terminal, and it's a very simple idea. You come to the booth with your grandmother, with anyone who you want to honor by listening to them. So people think of it as if I had 40 minutes left to live, what would I say to this person who means so much to me? To attract people, he reached out to the People's Library specifically the director of the Library of Congress's American Folklife Center. And I said, I'm going to try and record the whole country. Will you accept the materials? And she said those magical three letters, yes. <laughs> and that was it. And here we are. The StoryCorps archive is in good company at what is the largest library in the world. Other treasures here include a rare Gutenberg Bible, as well as a draft of the Declaration of Independence handwritten by Thomas Jefferson, and a preliminary draft of President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Dr. Carla Hayden serves as the Librarian of Congress. Until recently, it was a lifetime appointment, so only 14 people have held the job since 1802. How does having StoryCorps here fit into your vision for the Library of Congress? StoryCorps is an important part of adding history and context and the individuals who make history. Not just the ones that we see on the news, but the people who are part of the fabric of our American life. 
the everyday people. What do they feel? What do they believe? To try to find out, StoryCorps rolled out a mobile booth in 2005 to travel the country. They also launched partnerships and story collection programs in multiple American cities. This is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. When the pandemic hit, they created a new way for people to submit stories online. Share your interview far and wide and know that someday future generations will be listening. Every Friday for the last 16 years, National Public Radio sends one story into the homes, headphones, and cars of 6 million people. Hey, it's Friday, which is when we hear from StoryCorps. We were recently at NPR's Washington studio to hear Morning Edition host Steve Inskeep introduce the story of Miguel Encinias, a decorated fighter pilot who passed away in 2016 at the age of 92. He served as a U.S. military pilot in World War II and Korea and Vietnam. Two of his children, Isabel and Juan Pablo Encinas, came to StoryCorps to remember him. When I was little, I remember him flying in in his fighter jet and us waiting for him on the tarmac and thinking, oh my God, what a hero my father is. As he got older, he was diagnosed with dementia. But even at the end when he cognitively wasn't all there, he would hear a plane and just look up and stare at it in the sky. And you could tell that he just wanted to be up in that plane with every ounce of his being. Maybe he's listening to us somewhere up there. I hope so. Sometimes um, in an interview, you can almost see sparks flying out of someone's mouth. There's, there's just this kind of magnificence and grace to the story. And those are the ones where you just, it, it almost demands to be shared with a larger audience. In 2010, StoryCorps began to animate conversations to be viewed by new audiences online, like this one recorded in Mississippi between Albert Sykes and his nine-year-old son, Aiden. Are you proud of me? Of course. You're my man. I, I just love everything about you, period. The thing I love about you, you never give up on me. That's one of the things I will always remember by my dad. Have you thought about selling Kleenexes? You could make a lot of money. <laughs> we always wanted to get Kleenex as a sponsor, but they've never agreed. Only a tiny fraction of StoryCorps' hundreds of thousands of stories ever make it onto the radio. They're selected by StoryCorps' facilitators, who make up the actual core of StoryCorps. Once I press record, we're going to have you introduce yourselves. Facilitators are trained in both the art and the technical aspects of story collection. Wonderful. Jason Reynolds serves on StoryCorps' board of directors. He's also one of the most popular and celebrated young adult authors in the country. Sixteen years ago, fresh out of college, he was a facilitator who conducted close to 300 StoryCorps sessions over 18 months. I felt like I was privy to something special, something sacred, you know, and something that would last forever. And no one would know that I'm in the room, right? But I was in the room for some of the most beautiful tales I've ever heard. So it sounds like what you heard in the booth is very different than what people may hear on the radio. Absolutely. Sometimes you you can almost hear the anxiety of it all. And other times you can hear the gentle tenderness of human beings. I think StoryCorps and the facilitators, they get to see, you know, who we really are as Americans. And it's not what you see on 24-hour news. 
Around the time of the 2016 presidential election, Dave Isay says he got the idea for a new kind of story corps that could perhaps help unite a country becoming increasingly divided. He decided to call it One Small Step. What's the difference between regular story corps and One Small Step? So every regular StoryCorps interview are people who know and love each other. And every One Small Step interview are strangers. Uh, And in the case of One Small Step, it's people who are across the political divide. After you read each other's bios, I'm going to ask, why did you want to do the interview Mm. today? So we match strangers who um, disagree politically to put them face-to-face for 50 minutes. It's not to talk about politics. It's just to talk about your lives. Facilitators begin by asking the participants to read one another's biography out loud, as in this recent session in Richmond, Virginia. The project tries to match people who may be from different political parties but have something else in common. Hi. I grew up as an army brat and an evangelical Christian, surrounded by a very powerful ideology of conservatism, patriotism, and religion. I am a Baptist pastor and performance artist, a native Charlottesvillian, graduate of the University of Virginia and Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Participants are encouraged to focus on what they share. We're pastors and we're, we're, we're helping people to find their path and find their voice. Mm. Oh, Brenda, I love what you just said about helping people find their path because I feel such a connection there. The format is derived from a psychological concept developed in the 1950s called contact theory. Which says that when you have um, two people who are enemies and you put them face-to-face under very, very specific conditions um, and they have a conversation and a kind of visceral emotional experience with each other, that hate uh, can melt away. And people can see each other in a new way. I'm here because I thought I want to be a part of a better world for our children and our grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. I can't save the whole world, but I can do my part Mm. where I am. Mm. And dang nabbit, I'm going to. (laughs) One small step just crossed the not-so-small milestone of completing 1,000 sessions. And there are over 6,000 people on the waiting list. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on what's been going on with One Small Step since we last spoke. Once a month, Dave Isay meets with what he calls One Small Step's Brain Trust. It includes social psychology professors from Yale and Columbia, former political advisors from both the right and the left. I like how you can't tell who's a Democrat and who's a Republican. And pollsters who found data to support the idea that there is an exhausted majority in America. They're tired. They're scared. They're sick of the division and they want to figure out a way out. And we've got to figure out, we've got to give them a way out. Dave Isay makes it a point to venture outside of StoryCorps' home turf on NPR to increase the project's reach. I have no idea what your politics are, which is one of the reasons I like you so much, because I don't think you are primarily political. You're really interested in bringing people together. And you actively seek out media outlets that appeal to conservatives yes. like Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck. Yeah. You know, I think what makes... One small step special is that all of us believe in every cell of our body that there is a flame of good in you, whether you're liberal or whether you're conservative. And our job is to fan that flame until it becomes a roaring fire. So I take my hat off to Dave. I think, I think once more he's proving that like he, he's willing to walk the walk. And when you heard about the One Small Step initiative, what did you think? It is very, very difficult 
for us to hate one another. When I'm looking you in the face and we're talking about what we like to cook our children for dinner and we're talking about how difficult it is to get our babies into college, it isn't an easy fix. It isn't some kind of hocus pocus where, you know, kumbaya, it's all fine. It isn't any of that. He knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody got to do something. Our dream with One Small Step is that we convince the country that it's our patriotic duty to see the humanity in people with whom we disagree. It's going to take a lot of stories to bring this country together. We're banking on a bit of a miracle here. You just don't give up. The NFL playoffs start next weekend, and here's one safe bet. At least a few games will come down to football's great secret hiding in plain sight. We speak of kickers who score about a third of the points in the NFL, but only get a small fraction of the respect. It was Buddy Ryan, the hard-boiled coach, who once growled, kickers are like taxi cabs. You can always go out and hire another one. Sure enough, this season, almost half the NFL teams have replaced their kickers at least once. But then onto the field jogs Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens, who cleaves the uprights with a mix of power and precision. The Ravens had a rough season, but Tucker is on a trajectory, end over end, to go down as perhaps the greatest NFL kicker there ever was in turn elevating the entire position. If there were one signature moment from the NFL this season, it might be this. Detroit Lions 17, Baltimore Ravens 16, three seconds left. Justin Tucker, the Ravens 32-year-old kicker, lines up beyond midfield, beyond the tail of the Lions logo, and action. I felt the thud of the ball. I knew it was going to have a chance, but I didn't know for sure until... I saw the ball hit the crossbar. I think that's when we all knew that we had just been a part of an historic moment. Note the reaction of his coach, John Harbaugh. Tucker's teammates were equally giddy. What made it remarkable? For one, the sheer distance. By a matter of inches, the 66-yarder set a new NFL record for longest field goal ever. But also, since when have you heard this kind of swooning over a kicker? John Harbaugh says it's not just because of Tucker's record breaker in Detroit. What is his secret kicking sauce? You know, he's a very talented guy. Leg strength, accuracy, all the numbers are there. But to me, the biggest thing is just the way he approaches it. I mean, his demeanor, persona, in the biggest moments, the biggest kicks under the most pressure, that's what makes him the best ever. You sound fired up when you say that. Yeah, well, I'm fired up that he's our kicker. <laughs> makes us a better football team. Tucker weighs only 180 pounds, but he's often rescued the Ravens. Going into this weekend, Tucker had made 57 straight field goals in the fourth quarter or overtime. He wasn't drafted. He scored more than a third of the Ravens' points since he's gotten here. Right. Is he worth a first-round pick today? He is, absolutely. He would be. Here's the real kicker, as it were. Across the NFL, more field goals are being made from longer distances with greater accuracy than ever. But then there are wacky Sundays, like the one in October, when normally reliable kickers for the Packers and Bengals... No good! Crosby from 40! It is no good! ...combined to miss five field goals in the last 10 minutes. What is going on? And the extra point, once almost automatic, has become more of an adventure since the NFL extended the distance in 2015. All those games hinging on the smallest guys on the field, splitting or missing those two uprights, the outcome will depend as much on the mind as on the foot. Even for Justin Tucker, nerves come into play. If you're not feeling just like a little something, like, uh, you know, are you even really living? 
you know, that's part of the challenge of playing this position at this level is thinking about all that, processing it, compartmentalizing it, putting it away, and then still going out there and doing your job. Tucker's teammate, six foot eight defensive lineman Calais Campbell, whose job includes blocking kicks, says he can detect fear in kickers when the game's on the line. You know, it can be really good kickers. And until that situation comes and they just, all that confidence goes away, you can see the nervousness in their eyes. And very few kickers have the ability to be able to handle that, that kind of pressure. You see that on the other side of the line. Oh, yeah, all the time. NFL kicking titan Morton Anderson made 583 field goals over a 25-year career. Anderson says kickers have nowhere to hide. We're very exposed. Our performance feedback is immediate. It's either good or bad. How much of this is mental? I would say 90% of it is mental and the last 10% is mental. <laughs> See, Yogi Berra does kicking. <laughs> you had a kick to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Did you feel fear when you walked out? No, because I had in my mental rehearsals the night before in the hotel, I, I would do three or four scenarios. I would rehearse them in slow motion and real time. So I remember standing on the sideline and all my teammates were on their knees. They were holding hands. And I thought to my, I remember thinking to myself, you know, they're not driving the car. I'm driving the car. When Anderson drove the Atlanta Falcons into the Super Bowl in 1999, he was so sure he'd nailed his kick, he didn't even bother to watch. Anderson is the second leading scorer in NFL history, behind another kicker, four-time Super Bowl winner Adam Vinatieri. And yet, you're one of only two pure kickers in the Football Hall of Fame. How can that be? It's a great injustice. One of the greatest injustices in the history of mankind. I'm kidding. You guys a are scoring bit. a third of the points, though. How Correct. can you be able to And if, you, if, if the point of the game is to score more points than the other team, who's more important than the leading scorer on the football team? Kickers have long been seen as something, well, foreign, literally. Guys born in Europe with names like Gogolak and Stenerud. Maybe it was the barefoot kickers in the snow, or Gero Yepremian's lone pass of his career in the Super Bowl, no less, that helped create a perception kickers aren't real football players. And then there is another false perception, that kicking a football ain't all that difficult. You ever have teammates say, Kick, kicking a ball through uprights, how hard can that be? So every Saturday morning we had a walkthrough, and all the guys wanted to kick field goals. And I'm like, don't do it, guys. This is not <laughs> muscles you're used to using. Anyone actually make the field goal when they weren't blowing out their knees? It wasn't a pretty sight. And I was just like, you guys are idiots. This is not going to end well. <laughs> there are seldom backup kickers in the NFL, so look what happened three weeks ago when Carolina Panthers kicker Zane Gonzalez injured his leg in warm-ups. The team scrambled to find any player who could kick, holding field auditions on the spot. Not surprisingly, the Panthers didn't even try to kick a field goal or extra point that day. Then again, kickers are a special breed. How many linebackers dare sing opera as a hobby? Justin Tucker was happy to belt out Ave Maria at a Baltimore Christmas concert a few years ago. We heard he's shy about his singing. <laughs> yeah, very shy. I mean, he's the life of the party in the locker room every day. Every day, you said? Oh, every day. Kickers avoid football's violence. They even practice on their own field. Sometimes not at all. We had an NFL kicker tell us all the players want to be us during practice, and none of the teammates want to be us with three seconds left in the game. You're 
You're, you're smiling when I... I've, I... It's because I've heard that <laughs> time and time again from, from my teammates over the years. You buy it? And it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, we have an obviously lighter workload. We're not hitting or getting hit. Our practices are much less strenuous than basically every single other person out here, you know, wearing a football uniform. Connor Barth kicked for four NFL teams over a 10-year career. I think people want to be us during practice because sometimes we sneak off in camp and play some golf and, you know, maybe hit Starbucks. I always say if you make your kicks, no one ever is going to worry about you. I think I misheard you. You, you didn't really say that kickers sneak off during practice to go play golf and go to Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can only watch so much film kicking, right? You don't have a playbook with 500 pages in it, so you have some downtime during the day. But it's not all par threes and pumpkin spice latte. There is a real precision to kicking a field goal, an efficient three-man assembly line with a snapper and holder. How long does it take from the snap until you're booting that ball? Typically 1.3 seconds, give or take uh, several hundredths. 1.3 seconds, that's it? 1.3 seconds. If it's 1.4, what happens? If it's 1.4, you run the risk of getting a kick blocked uh, by an edge rush. So just a little bit of time and someone else is putting their hand up and blocking that kick. Exactly. You know, that muscle memory that gets developed throughout, you know, years of practice, that's what goes into those 1.3 seconds when they matter the most. We were also surprised to learn that Tucker and his fellow kickers are striking a football unique to them. That's definitely a K-ball right there. A K-ball, the K standing for kickers. You can't do too many crazy things, but you want to try to, like, mash the back of this ball and break in these seams as much as you can. I can't go too deeply into the trade secrets that uh, the measures our equipment guys go to to prep these footballs for game day legally, uh, I should add. But um, there's a, a brush that has bristles on one side, and that's the only tool that you're allowed to use. So you're brushing... The brush smooths the sides of the ball where the kicker's foot makes impact. I don't think most fans realize that the ball that the quarterback's throwing with is different from the one you're kicking with. No, I mean, the K-ball, quarterbacks do not use it. The rest of the position players do not use this ball. The purpose of this ball is to, you know, send it to the moon with my foot. So anything that you can do to loosen up the leather so when my foot compresses into the ball, it explodes the other way in a way that... You know, right. this ball just simply would not. You, you talk about a sweet spot. I try to pick out the dimples on the ball that I'm going to match up my foot to. Really? The specific dimples? I, I try wow. to. Oh, it's a, a little easier said than done. So maybe an inch under the center of the ball, that's where I'm trying to match that bone coming off of my big toe on the top of my foot, trying to match it up to about right here. Tell me about your footwear here. Connor Barth let us in on more tribal secrets. I take like a machine and grind it down so that my front cleats are completely flat. That way when I swing through the ball, it kind of glides through like a, almost like a golf club. This plants and this slides. This, this one slides through and this one is your plant shoe that kind of just catches everything so that you stop and you kick. It's like two different garden tools. That's yeah, pretty cool. Mm. It's, uh, Barth's shoes are not just mismatched. They're not even the same size. I wear a size 12, but this is a 10 and a half. It's a Try size it. and a half smaller than what a... Uh... My kicking shoe needs to be so much tighter than my regular. So it's pretty cool, but I think my foot's gotten smaller over the years because I've been jamming my foot into a almost a two-size smaller shoe. We met Barth on his old high school football field in Wilmington, North Carolina. He was warming up by kicking 40-yard field goals with no step. Try that sometime. <sighs> he is a prime example of the kicker's vulnerability. 
Barth made 83% of his NFL field goals. But kicking for the Chicago Bears in November 2017, Barth attempted a game-tying field goal at Soldier Field with eight seconds left. He walked off the field dejected. The Bears fired him the next day, and his career was over. Did you think your career was in jeopardy with one kick? Yeah, absolutely. I would like to have ended my career on a little better note, so uh, I've never seen more middle fingers in the crowd <laughs> on the way out of the... Uh, <laughs> of this, hey, Chicago Bears, hey, Chicago fans are the best fans. Now, at age 35, he's thinking of making a comeback. <laughs> Given the churn among NFL kickers, yeah, why not? You know, there's been some inconsistencies this year with kickers. We'll go watch some games, and I'll have... You know, you'll see misses, and all my all my buddies are texting. You got to go back, and uh, you're watching football on Sundays and oh, yeah. thinking, uh, "I can make some more field goals." Yeah. With our game clock down to its final ticking, we figured it was only fitting we summon Justin Tucker to take us out. I'll ask you a question: Like, how amazing is that? You know, we're sitting here talking about kicking footballs. I'm having the loveliest time right now. This is just, you know, it's just it's just a wild yeah. ride through the uprights, man. That's like that old country song. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. And here we are, just living life, man. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. In the mail this week, viewers comments on last Sunday's one-hour edition of our story about the Ritchie Boys. The tale of their secret World War II intelligence operations elicited near-unanimous responses at a time when the nation is otherwise so deeply divided. This was moving and so needed now. Their massive contributions and remarkable stories are inspiring. The men you interviewed were fascinating, intelligent, and brave, and are to be admired. And then there was this about the Ritchie boys, many of whom were Jewish refugees who had escaped from Nazi Germany. It was so wonderful to hear how they had the last word against Hitler and the horrendous Nazis. I'm John Wertheim. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com. Listen to the 48 Hours Podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas. 
from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts.